Hi, I'm Marissa Alexa McCool, author of The PC Lie, How American Voters Decided I Don't Matter, and of course, host of the Inciting Incident podcast. And dear God, why would you listen to another cis straight white guy like Jesse Dollimore? I never listen to this bullshit, and you should be ashamed that you are too. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. everybody, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us this episode 431 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as I am often, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely, the talented, and don't forget, the scholarly, Brittany Page. That's right, don't forget. Do not forget. How could you forget? <laughs> uh, I can't forget. Mm-hmm. I can't forget. Mm-hmm. I'm maintaining here, though. Maintaining. On the tired spectrum. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not great, but it's better. That's good. That's good. Manageable. Mm. Let's talk about something up front here. Can I actually do something really quick? Yes. Okay. Um, because we haven't made an announcement about the Patreon monthly Google Hangouts. All right. So um, that is happening on Friday, July 27th. That's tomorrow. Or today, depending on what time oh, that's right. you're listening to this. Probably we're, today. Yeah, we're recording today. Y- yeah. At Thursday. Eight, at 8 p.m. Um, Pacific time. And on Saturday, July 28th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So I sent an email out to the people that are in that tier a week ago to let everybody know the time. Um, and then when the time arrives for the call to begin i will send out another message with a link to join the call like right before 8 p.m pacific time and right before 11 p.m on saturday correct like like just a couple minutes before you'll get the email correct so those are always fun and we look forward to seeing you guys and if you want to get in on that if you're not i might as well use this opportunity to say we'd love to have you support us on patreon go to dollamore.com slash patreon and you can get in on this call on Friday Yep. and on Saturday and then mm-hmm. the subsequent months that uh, come after that. So it's a good time. Yep. All right. Well, let, let's let's talk about something, Brittany. Remember the, the blue dress black, the white dress gold, that controversy? Yes. And remember Yanni and Laurel recently? Yep. yep. I wonder if people who just heard me say those two words, if someone heard me say Laurel and Laurel <laughs> or Yanni and Yanni. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, there's a new controversy that's not necessarily how do you perceive something. Hmm. It is kind of how do you perceive it, but it's do you like it or do you hate it? Okay. Today's big debate, CVS hold music, (laughs) annoying or soothing. That's right. So forget what color is the dress, forget Laurel or Yanni. This is now what we have to talk about. Is the CVS hold music soothing or enraging, even some people say? One person calls it the background music that plays in my nightmares. Another says it's one of the most beautiful piano pieces I've ever heard. And now there's a petition. Pharmacy, press three. Dr. Steve Schlossman estimates he's heard this song over 20,000 times. Dun, 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 
It's the CVS Hold Music, now sparking a nationwide debate. It's soothing the first 25 or 30 times you hear it. I don't find it that soothing the 300 millionth time. But not everyone hates it. Pianist and pharmacist Mark Makam has to listen to the song all the time, but is still a big fan. It's actually a very nice tune. At least you know that you're still on the phone. And CBS must like the music because they've been using the same hold song at every location for the past 18 years. The pharmacy says they've kept the music due to positive customer feedback, but many longtime listeners are hoping for a change. There's even a petition on change.org urging the company to pick a new song. So what do you think? I, I think it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Pharmacy. It's perfectly it, fine. <laughs> it wasn't a ring, ringing endorsement from the one dude who liked the song. Uh-huh. I think it's a lovely, uh, a lovely piano piece. At least you know you're still on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's just talking about, I'm, I'm thankful that there's any noise being made. So well, I know that they're not hanging up on me. It's a lot better than what they used to have. Mm-hmm. It's Friday, Friday. Oh, my God. It'll fade. And how long? After that. I have to get to the party and partying. It makes me sick. I had to get to the party and partying part. You know, it could be so many um, terrible songs. They're, you know, it, they're lucky it's not Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe. I mean... Anything by Jimmy Buffett. I mean, they're oh, just, they're, yeah. they're lucky that it's not certain songs, including that. No, Friday. no. <laughs> Do not play it again. I just, well, we did an Very episode. Very upsetting. Several years ago, we did an episode where we talked about songs that get stuck in your head. And I played several songs, mm-hmm. snippets of songs that get stuck in your head. That's certainly one of them for me. And it's not... Today, but tomorrow, you just said you were, you know, not feeling great, a little tired, a little headachey. That's got to cure it, right? No, 100% not. (laughs) Definitely, definitely not. Well, thanks to Rebecca Black for that, the consummate artist and wonderful musician (laughs) for the the beautiful... Come on, man. Come on, man. We don't need to keep hearing it. Honestly, we got it. It's in our head now. We got it forever. So some hold music can be a goddamn bummer, though. Yeah, for sure. Don't play it again. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I wouldn't think that's anything in in moderation is okay. Listen, I don't call CVS ever, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to deal with that. But... uh, if I was a pharmacist having to call or, you know, whatever, a doctor's office, whomever, having to call a CVS and be on hold for a long time, that would get on my nerves. Yeah, I think that's probably what the issue is, is, is the repetition now of every time they call. Yeah. It's this song and, I mean, they're already having to make the call and they're on hold. Yeah. And I think it's the combination of factors that are contributing to the hatred of the I, I do wonder, <laughs> piano though, song. I do wonder... There are certain things that are more enraging while on hold than others. And I, I don't even really care about the music. What I hate is when you're on your, like, 
45th mi minute of being on hold, which is rare for me because I usually just, fuck it, I don't wait on hold. I just, oh, I got to pay a bill. They're not picking up their phone. All right, well, guess it doesn't get paid. People pay their bills on the no, phone? No, you know, whatever. Oh. Even if it's something important, I'm uh -huh. usually like, well, fuck them. They, they don't want to answer the phone. Oh, okay. Um, but but 45, you, when you're on your 45th minute of hold and then you hear... Your business is important to us. Please, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you know what? If it's that important, you would have added a few other people in your call center to pick up my goddamn phone call. 100%. So that is that. I wanted to... Really, that was just a setup to play a little Rebecca Black Friday. Yeah, I know what you're about. <laughs> Come on. Right, last, no, seriously, don't do it again. Last time. Okay, because I'm going to leave. You're going to leave? Yeah, I won't be here. <laughs> I'll have to rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh again. Yeah, huh? what's going on with you today? Oh, you're not worried about me. All right. Let's get to some emails and some voicemails. <laughs> okay. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. I love your show. Every show I have so many things to say, so many questions. The following is not because it is a burning issue, but I have to start responding somewhere or I'll go mad. Ari, your DNA testing. I was surprised that you scoffed at people's worries about their DNA falling into the wrong hands. Perhaps it's not the government that we should be afraid of, but of business. The ancestry bullshit is massive business, and the future potential for this data is frightening. People are willingly handing over the most personal genetic details and paying companies to do so. Probably the same people that were shocked by Facebook breaching their privacy. In a country where you can be denied healthcare coverage due to whatever illness you might have, doesn't it worry you that these insurance companies might be very interested in what lies in your DNA? I'm not sure if the test you took included potential diseases, but now a private company has that information and could potentially sell it in the future. I recently had cancer and had genetic testing to see if there was any known genetic reason for this. I had to have counseling and was asked many times if I wanted the testing and if I understood the ramifications of this as it would affect my sister and her children. Thankfully, there was no known genetic link, but I imagine if there was, my seven-year-old niece having to know she had a ticking time bomb in her DNA. This was at a public hospital in Australia. I'm not saying I trust the government either, but I felt I had no choice in this situation. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there is no fucking way I would willingly give a private company my DNA. By the way, cunt is not really okay to say in Australia, maybe to your mates, but not to your, not to your mom. Not to your mom. Love the show. Brittany is the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. And this is Bye. from Anon. Anon. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's anonymous. Sure. They don't even want us to know who they are talking about the DNA they don't want to give yes. to, to companies. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, no, listen. The reaction that I had when talking about the DNA conversation I had with that person. I also want to say I think you scoffed at it. Yeah, I'm getting ready to explain why I scoffed at it. No, but I don't think I necessarily scoff at it. I don't... I don't necessarily agree with the concern. Um, like, I see it. I understand it. I think some of it may be logical, but not so much that I was refusing to do 23andMe. So, yeah. yeah. I, the reason I scoffed, and I did, it was joke, making a joke about it, is because I was reflecting back on the conversation that I had with a very good friend and remembered ribbing them a little bit about being paranoid about the government and making them, painting them kind of in the light of being a conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. Listen, I think that's a valid concern. 
giving giving your DNA to companies, especially where it relates to like if my data was to fall into the hands of um excuse me, let me correct that so it's so I no one emails. If my data were to fall into the wrong hands, like the the hands of a, a of a, a health insurance company, mm-hmm. and then they were to d- d- deny me, d- 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 deny me health coverage, well, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was a risk I was willing to take. So when I scoffed, it was really more reflecting back on the conversation I had, not on the on the very real concern that Anon is talking about here. Well, whatever happens in the future. Anon, I hope you come save us um, because we will be one of the ones that are taken down because we did 23 and They're in Australia. Mad Max was, uh, he was Australian dude, you know, Mel Gibson. He, Perfect. Maybe he has it in his DNA to be that end of the world post-apocalyptic savior. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we have another email from Liz in Kentucky. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I wanted to pass along something I realized a couple of years ago pertaining to straight whiteness. My family became close friends a few years ago with an amazingly smart and funny gay man. He lived a few hours away from us, so we had daily chats and long FaceTime sessions with him. One day, a thought occurred to me that our conversations always came around to something having to do with his being gay. That was the day it hit me over the head with a big old stick that the reason the topic always came around to his gayness was because it is always on his mind. As straight people, we never have to think about the fact that we are straight. We can move about society, go to our jobs, eat in restaurants, and never once have to worry we're being judged or worry about our safety. Well, women sometimes, but that's for another day. LOL. That realization was a real eye-opener for me. You can take the word gay and exchange it for black or brown, and the same would apply. I was the only white person at a birthday dinner for one of my black friends, and I just got a tiny taste of what it's like to be constantly aware of who you are in a group setting. It was a lovely dinner with a truly nice group of people, but I definitely felt it the whole time. The good news is that once you begin spending time with and really getting to know people who are not the same as you, all that goes away. And one day you realize that's not just my gay friend, Kenny, or my black friend, Nicole. They're just my friends, Kenny and Nicole. Thanks for everything you do. Love the show. Jesse, get the button ready. Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Boom. She queued you up. Button ready. It's awesome. Liz, thank you for the email. Yes. Uh, And that's all I have to say. Moving on. <laughs> no, no, I agree 100%. It's listen, when when let's use our country for example, when the United States was is built by and run by straight white males for hundreds of years, it's designed for straight white males to to, to go about. So, you know, it's like I don't have to worry about something being built for a right-handed person because the world's designed for right-handed people. If I was left-handed, I might have to think, oh, fuck. If I get handed a pair of scissors or if I walk up to a pencil sharpener in a class, that's not set up for me. Right. It's, I mean, that's really dumbing it down for my brain. But <laughs> it's the same thing for being a, you know, a, a gay man or woman or, or a person of color. It's, the world wasn't built by you and your type. America, especially, is you know, the, the land of straight white men. Every one of our 44 presidents has been a straight white man setting policy for the world from the outlook of a straight white man. 
Yeah, I mean, slaves did build the White House. I don't mean built as in physically the, the back-breaking labor. Oh, okay. They put that work to, to they set that work to in, in, in motion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Please, correcting me like I really think that George Washington <laughs> was out there fucking building I'm shit. I'm trying to... Uh, with his hundreds of slaves. I'm trying to get ahead of the people that are going to send you emails. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do. If they don't know my heart already and they me. think I'm advocating for the <laughs> male domination... About, it is not about knowing your heart, Listen, bro. listen, everybody. Here's what I got to say. I'm a big proponent of the patriarchy, and I think it's great and grand, and it's done a lot of good for the world. So before we move on <laughs> to the um, voicemails, we got a message from Mary, and she wants this addressed, even though it's kind of California-specific. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, would you guys be up for addressing the choice we have in California for Senate? I'm trying to figure out if it's best to vote for Feinstein. Feinstein? Feinstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since she is the senior dem on many committees or to vote for de leon uh her more progressive challenger i know it's not applicable to a wider audience but it is a conversation to consider in my opinion love you both thanks for helping me keep my sanity in the trump era well mary um I would say this. Well, let me tell you how, what I'm going to do. How about that? That'd probably be easiest. <laughs> I'm going to vote for Kevin DeLeon. And and why? Because, well, one, uh, I believe Feinstein has, she's served her usefulness in Congress. Well, let's just say these are both Democrats. They're, well, that's the other thing is we have a jungle primary, what's called jungle primary here in California. So during primary... All kinds of people run for office. Mm -hmm. The top two, no matter what their party affiliation, move ahead to the primary. So oftentimes in California, a lot in California, two people of the same party, usually Democrat, run against one another in the general election. So we have two Democrats, one more progressive for universal health care, more of a Bernie Sanders type of Democrat, and then we have we have a very establishment Democrat in 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 Diane Feinstein, who is on record of saying, "Oh, the country's not ready for universal health care. The, the the country's not ready for Medicaid for all." Mm-hmm. And I I I'm I'm that's bullshit. And because there's no risk of if I vote for this guy, a Republican getting in office. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm going to vote for uh, for Delion for sure mm-hmm. because because strictly of the healthcare reason. Now, her her concern about the the com- committee ships. She's the ranking member of a couple different committees. I think judiciary. She might be. Mm-hmm. Eh. <laughs> Somebody else will take her place. That's absolutely as good or better than Diane Feinstein. And what she does for California. On those committees, I think, is negligible and worth the risk of getting someone in there who's going to turn the tide of public opinion and representation toward a Medicare for all type of situation in the United States. So that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I can only speak for myself. I think she is leading um, by a pretty hefty margin only because people are probably feeling what Mary is feeling and unsure of whether or not they want to shake things up. Um, but has she been perfect? No. I tell you what, we'll it, try to get Kevin on the show. If he declines us, then fuck that guy. We'll oh. go with Diane. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> is that the new plan? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I was worried there for a second. If I hated everybody who turned us down to come on the show, yeah. there'd be a lot of hate. It's been a rough month for trying to get people on the show, everybody. Let me say this, because we've mentioned this in the past. Thank you, Mary, for the message, the question. Um, Brittany and I have been breaking our goddamn necks trying to get a woman on the show. <laughs> trying to get a woman guest. Yeah. Some awesome All month. To- awesome topics, several emails. We've gotten responses from some people who are who are big time. Yeah, who said Pe- they would come. People who are like mixing it up with Sam Harris on, and really having major headlines happen. Mm-hmm. And um, now scheduling issues. Yeah, just and- all this shit happens. So, we're trying, man. We're trying. Yeah. Ugh. Fucking people. Maybe if I didn't run my mouth like I do, yeah, that would help. We might have a little better time. Yeah, tone it down a bit. <laughs> tone, tone it down. Work on your mood. My mood. Hmm. All right, let's get to a couple of voicemails. The first one, we've been talking about um, Leah, for, specifically from Maine, who who wrote in about having been on the Trump train and then got off the Trump train. And I, I hate the word Trump train, but I just apparently I'm going to use it. And uh, Daria has some thoughts about people overlooking Trump voter shit, I guess. I don't know how to categorize it. Hey, you two. Uh, Daria from New Hampshire. I hope you're doing great. Um, sorry if the audio quality is bad. I'm getting ready to work uh, for work right now as I'm calling you. But I just wanted to contribute to the conversation that you had your last episode about um, – why certain people voted for Trump and why how they could overlook certain things that other people saw as deal breakers, such as racism, sexism, etc. So my two cents on this, first of all, is there's I kind of understand why it's kind of easy for certain people to overlook uh, otherwise deal breakers, such as racism, because I think for a, like First of all, there's a lot of issues to care about, such as racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, homophobia, there's like hate crimes, there's religious discrimination, there's disability discrimination. There's a lot of shit to always be outraged and a lot of shit that could always be a deal breaker, first of all. So just keeping it all in one place on top of caring about things such as immigration policy, economic policy, healthcare policy, that's a lot of things to keep in mind all the time as a voter, especially if you're a voter who maybe is, you know, not a person who is directly affected by things like racism or sexism. Like, I'm a white woman, and there was a time in my life where I didn't really understand why racism was a big deal because it didn't affect me every day. I wasn't, you know, pulled over all the time and I wasn't treated like a second-class citizen. Now I understand, but at one point, like, if someone, you know, said, hey, a candidate is racist, I'd be like, okay, that sucks, but I still care about blah, 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 you know. Um, Not saying that that's necessarily the right way to go, but uh, that's just the perspective that I can offer. But The thing that I do want to also talk about is I really am tired. Let me rephrase this. I want Republicans to take fucking responsibility for their party. They are the ones who created Trump. And on top of all that, we have 
all these alt-right, white supremacist, white nationalist movements. We have fucking, like, uh, that, oh, my God, I'm totally, like, blanking on the name. The sheriff from Arizona. We have all these racist-ass judges all running under the Republican ticket, and there's no words about them. Like, I want some sort of responsibility for them, and I'm tired that they are not taking some sort of words to denounce them. Anyways, I'm running out of time. Love you. Bye. You're doing great. I hope you keep doing great. And, yeah. Bye. So, <laughs> to thank you for the call. To her last point, um, I I saw this headline on Fox News, and it said, Nazis and, and anti-Semites slip through GM GOP primaries, causing headaches for the party. You know, wow, those sneaky some, Nazis yeah, and anti-Semites slipping, slipping through. through. <laughs> Wait a minute. How'd they slip through those GOP primaries? They're wily. Oh, but yeah, take responsibility. Don't also, write headlines saying that they slipped through. These particular types they're talking about, the three that I have in mind, they didn't slip anything. They were out in the open about the, their their past and their current beliefs. Mm-hmm. It wasn't slipping through. Mm-hmm. They were voted for by Republicans knowing the deal and let them through. Like Arthur Jones. Yes. And Paul Nealon. Paul Nealon, the guy from uh, Wisconsin. And John Fitzgerald. John Fitzgerald, that's the other one, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, so about, about the other points, though, again, I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to rehash everything, but go back and listen to the last episode if you haven't already, uh, where we responded and talked about if we don't let the, 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 you know, the 62 million or however many people voted for Donald Trump, we don't let them back in the fold, you're writing off half of the country right away. We need to give the space and the level of comfort to come back to the right side and and be a productive member of the, you know the working society and we'll just chalk that one up to a loss. Ah, so you you fuck that one up. Mm-hmm. We'll give you a mulligan on that one. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what's you know everybody knows we we talked about it last time. So thank you for the call very much. Let's move on again. Talking about. The stressors of politics. I'm calling in because you guys uh, had aired a an ominous reader about, or an ominous writer about uh, therapy and um, you know suggestions or help, anything to kind of guide them on this path of uh, you know working through mental health and and uh, kind of self actualization a little bit. Um, I've been in therapy for over ten years of my life. Uh, I've been going to it ever since I was a young kid and teenager in middle school, knowing at a very young age that I struggled with personally, and it sounds like this writer might uh, kind of um, have a bit of a connection to it. I don't know for certain, but I struggle with self-loathing a long time. I struggle with self-hatred, with resenting myself, resenting decisions that I had made in the past, decisions that I had no control over. I, I really struggled with that kind of... Uh, uh, emotional impact and how I looked at myself in the mirror and didn't like what I saw and looked back in the past and didn't like the outcomes that had occurred. Now, there was a lot of things that I had to go through, but I have some tips for the writer in regards about looking for a therapist. One of the best things I can mention, the best tip I can possibly say, is that the first therapist that you get may not be a match. You have to kind of play it around a little bit 
I found like five therapists before I found the right one. And you will know after about the second or third session if that, if that therapist is the right one for you. You'll know, you'll feel a connection. The best way I can describe it is like, is when you find a best friend almost. Someone that you really connect with and they understand you and when you explain things to them, they get it or they may not get it right away, but they'll ask you questions. I, from my personal experience, some of the worst or not worse, but some of the therapists that didn't work for me were the ones that told me what to do all the time. The ones that listen to you are the are some of your best ones. So uh, I would say that, you know, definitely kind of take the time to uh, be patient with it, fail at it a couple of times, but keep trying again if a couple of therapists didn't work out for you. And then just um, whenever, whenever a therapist doesn't work out for you, let that therapist know that you're talking with know that and let ask them for suggestions for other therapists that are in the area. That's one of the best ways of working around that. But again, Jess, Brittany, you both are the best part. Bye. I 100% endorse all of that. Um, I think it's very important advice. Um, Can I say one thing before you go there? Okay. If you go to a therapist that's giving you advice on what to do, it seems like that's not a therapist. That's a life coach. Isn't therapy not supposed to be them? Oh, here's what you do. That just doesn't seem like therapy to me. Anyway, go ahead. Well, there are people who are more directive, probably. Hmm. Um, Is that what I, it's called? Directive? Yeah. And I think that there are some people who would like that. And that's fine. So we, hmm. we all have different preferences. And that's the point of what the caller is talking about. Um, I've, I've heard people say, oh, I tried therapy once. It didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of not how it works. You know, you have to try people out, like he said. Um, and that's why I said, don't be afraid to, in your initial consultation with someone that you're either talking to on the phone or meeting for the first time, don't be afraid to ask them questions about, if they have experience and what you need them to have experience in, how they prefer to work with people. Yeah. What's their style of therapy? What's their therapeutic orientation? Can they give you some information about that? All of that kind of stuff um, you should ask about because you're paying for their services. Well, imagine if you went to a, a surgeon, ah, just a doctor, to get like an ingrown toenail worked on. And you're like, so have you done this before? And they're like, oh, no, I, I know what an ingrown toenail is, but I've never. You'd be like, well, maybe I'm going to go find somebody who knows how to work on this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you needed your appendix taken out and your doctor was like, oh, well, I'm a podiatrist, but I, I know anatomy pretty well. I could figure it out. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you want somebody who is good and specialized in that particular thing. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because um, what's implicit in what you're saying there is that um, therapy is not hocus pocus. Well, it's, it's, I don't believe it is. Yes, but there are some people who still believe that. And um, it's it's not. And it, it actually can be um, damaging when you have a bad therapist because it can turn you off of therapy in its entirety. And yeah. that's really terrible that there are people out there that have those experiences and that are turned off the idea because it can be life-changing and life-saving. So um, I think those are great tips, and I really appreciate the call. Awesome. Thank you very much, everybody. Listen, if you would like to sound off, help us move, move the conversation forward 
about anything, let us know. 657-464-7609. It is at that number that you can leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail. We will play it. At the very least, we'll listen to it. The other way is emailing a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Again, three minutes is the limit. Don't go over. We we don't have time for that. Do we have a quick time for a follow-up from last week? Yes. Okay. Um, For the most part, it was fun to hear you read an email I sent regarding some thoughts on a Forbes magazine cover and the need for more realistic role models in our society today. I say for the most part because the last line of my email said something along the lines of, and F those people who left your show because they don't agree with everything Sam Harris says. Or we don't agree with everything Sam Harris says. (laughs) In hindsight, and after some discussion with my wife, I've come to realize that line is more destructive than helpful. Although initially fun to type and send, it is very much an incomplete thought. The full thought goes something like this. This world has many viewpoints and frames of reference, life experience, and in some cases lack of it directly influence how we see things and feel about societal issues as a whole. We all walk in our own shoes and have to grapple with what it means to be alive. Me telling people to F off isn't helpful. (laughs) What's more helpful... It does feel good, though. What's more helpful is to encourage people to support both. I like many things Sam has said. In some aspects, he's a breath of fresh air for people who feel overwhelmed by a world full of religion and dogma. He discusses many things, as you do, Brittany and Jesse. I like and respect both of you very much. The point of listening to people isn't to nod along in full agreement 100% of the time. The point is to educate yourself, to enjoy the things that are interesting to hear, and to try and understand the things that are difficult to comprehend and that may bother you in some way. It was cheap of me to tell people to F off like that, and for that I need to do better. Otherwise, perhaps I should just F off too. I'm grateful for the show and the opportunity to a- interact with you in this way. Goodbye, Andrew in Maine. All right. So I thought that was nice. Yeah, self-reflective. And it's also good to remind everybody that it's okay if you don't listen to us and not in agreement 100% of the time. <laughs> I hope everyone doesn't agree all the time about everything. Yes, correct. I'm wrong. I've proved myself to be wrong about shit. We're thinking in public here. Yeah, we're bound to say shit that's not exactly right in the exact verbiage of the uh, uh, you know on the point every time, all the time. Anyway, again, thank you guys for your calls and emails. We appreciate it very much. Very quickly before we move on to Dollamocracy, um, Reina in the Dollamore listener group on the Facebook had a comment about the Facebook today. Facebook lost $119 billion in value in the stock market. It is the single largest loss for a single company in the history of the stock market. And actually, the reason for this loss might just surprise you. Stock market just opened a few minutes ago. Facebook shares are plunging. Chief business correspondent Christine Romans is back. Brian Selter is here as well because this is very much a media story sure. as well. So, Christine, I'm looking at the stock trading right now down 18%. What well, happened? Just crushed here. A strategy shift for this company. They will focus now on privacy first, and that means privacy over profits. They will have to spend a lot of money, billions of dollars in coming quarters. That will slow growth 
and that will hurt the profits of this company. That's what the company says itself. You know, it needs to put privacy first. It's had a terrible run here with the Cambridge Analytica scandal and, and the private data of, of, of Facebook users being, uh, being disseminated and in some cases sold. And then you have election meddling uh, and, and, all and fake news, the proliferation of fake news. So this is uh, a wake-up call for investors yeah. in Facebook that it is no longer the Wild West. This platform that began as rating how hot girls were in college dorm room has yeah. now grown up into something that is part of democracy yeah. uh, around the world and needs to act more responsibly. It will have to spend money to do that. Here's the thing. This, this sell-off seems to be... Um, I think a lot of analysts would say who take the long-term view very short-sighted, Brian. This is a company that once again pointed out yesterday we reached two and a half billion people yeah. around the world. And the way that companies stick around for the long term and mature, one could argue on the if you're long Facebook still, is that they invest to fix problems and to make the company more sustainable and better. Is that not what Facebook is doing here? Yeah, Facebook's investing so that people like the three of us stay on the site and don't right. go fleeing to a competitor. Uh, Facebook's revenues were up, what, 42% year over year. Anybody would love that. Revenue. What an incredible number. Right. Any other company, right, 42% <laughs> growth year over year. But it is remarkable to see a CEO like Zuckerberg, who did start it uh, as a service to maybe meet girls, to have to address the reality that this company affects yeah. democracy. Ugh, anyway, the clip went on, but I can't take Brian Stelter for too much longer. Listen, dude, if you're lapel... If your lav mic is on your left lapel, quit looking over at Christine Romans to your right and then being off mic. Anyway, Facebook. I, I don't know what you want me to say yeah, about I that. Know. I don't have passionate feelings about mic placement or mic rumbling. You no, know, what it is, it's when somebody starts getting on my nerves. We'll get back to the Facebook in a second. But when somebody starts getting on my nerves... Then everything they do, it's just like, you motherfucker. I think that's common. Yeah. That's common. So there's probably nothing wrong. Normally, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, his sound yeah. went down. Oh, that sounds really nice. Have they used that in a CVS <laughs> waiting? Um... <laughs> Don't do it. Oh. I saw you going for the mouse, and so, I knew so, it was So the coming. deal with them losing all the value is partially because it's mismanaged, the company they fucked up, but it's also because they're doing the right thing in response to this. And it's not altruism. They're not doing this because, hey, everybody, we <laughs> did the wrong thing and we're going to set things straight. We have a responsibility. Yeah, they do that. They're doing that because they know, like they talked about, people are going to start fleeing. Competitors are going to start popping up. And listen, if you were around for MySpace... You know just how fucking quickly a company can be irrelevant and gone. Mm -hmm. MySpace was hot, and like a month later, it was gone. Yeah. I had to be talked out of leaving MySpace. That's sad. How dare you? That's really sad. How dare you, sir? So anyway, it is good news that they are willing to forego. I mean, that's a massive... There are thousands... Tens of thousands of companies out there that aren't even worth the money that they lost today mm -hmm. in value. Mm -hmm. So let's give props when they're due, and they're due here slightly because they're, they are doing the right thing at the detriment of their current profit levels. Yes. So right on. Good job, Facebook. Support for I Doubt It With Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you. By way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time.
If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. So we don't have a new Patreon supporter to announce, but Aww. we did get a message from a Patreon supporter about the pronunciation of their name. Oh, all right. Hi, Britain, and yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, they show throw a little shade. I think so. Britain and yes, sir. Over the years, I have learned. To, oh, yes, sir. I have learned to listen to many names, but in episode four twenty nine, I heard for, <laughs> I heard Wacom. For the first time, <laughs> good on you guys to further expand the possibilities for pronouncing my name so it doesn't come out as my parents intended. <laughs> Other examples have been, apart from we, that is, Jockham, Wackham, uh, Wackham, Joaquin, and maybe my favorite, Jerkham. Jerkham? <laughs> I think I said Joaquin. Okay. Well, anyway... So a guide, uh, I... a guide to Swedish pronunciation of my name, not too into phonetics, but say after me, yo, as in yo, MTV rap, <laughs> yo, um, a, as in the first sound of apple. So, ah, Kim, as in Mr. Orange's buddy from North Korea. Yoakim. Yoakim. Yeah. Yes. Yoakim. Yoakim. See, now we don't know where to put the emphasis yeah. <laughs> on the correct syllable, you know. Longtime listener, but only now getting around to support you, so I guess I deserve a bit of bashing. Keep up the great work. Britain is the best part, but yes, sir, you're not too bad. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, All the best. Jerk him. Thank you, jerk him. <laughs> we appreciate the listenership more than anything else, but we, we very much appreciate the support on Patreon. It does help keep the lights on around here. Helps, you know, put gas in a gas tank and everything else that 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 helps life go on. Yes. So we appreciate all of our supporters, whether it be people buying the t-shirts and the mugs and 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 everything on dollamore.info or dollamore.patreon or Amazon. All of it is is super helpful and you you are beautiful people who who are um, going the extra mile. You know, it's episode 431, and sometimes I still think to myself, holy shit, people listen to us talk about the news. Yeah. It's such a gift. I mean, even if you guys um, aren't supporting us on Patreon and you are just a long a long time listener, um, like Jerkum over here, then... <laughs> We just, we love and appreciate you so much, honestly. Um, thank you so much for, for listening to us and communicating with us. We really appreciate it. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the big news that broke tonight is... Not really a showstopper because it's something everybody already knew, but it's more confirmation. Remember the meeting in, in, in Trump Tower in June or July of 2016? The one where Donald Trump Jr. was promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. The meeting that did not happen. And then when it was proved that it happened, oh yeah, it happened, but it was just about adoption. Mm -hmm. And then we found out it wasn't about adoptions. Oh, yeah, well, uh, blah, 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 then it's OK excuse. to get dirt on people. Yeah, That's right. what a campaigns do. Yeah. And Donald Trump didn't know about it. Right. It happened in Trump Tower. That's it right. was with Donald Trump Jr. But they never told the Donald. Right. Because, you know, he doesn't know anything about what's going on. 
for his yeah, campaign would, and his organization. Why would a historic micromanager know about this particular small detail? They brought her into the Trump Tower in an invisible cloak from Harry Potter. Right. It all makes sense. Don't worry about it. Right. Well, today, tonight, this evening, Michael Cohen is now claiming Donald Trump knew prior to the meeting about the meeting and of its purpose. A claim that goes to the truth of what the president knew and when he knew about an event that is central to the special counsel's Russia investigation. Let's get after it. We have CNN political analyst Carl Bernstein and Jim Shudo, our chief national security correspondent for CNN. Jimmy, what do we know now? Well, Chris, tonight, sources with knowledge tell myself and Carl that Michael Cohen claims that then-candidate Donald Trump knew in advance about the June 2016 meeting in Trump Tower in which Russians were expected to offer his campaign dirt on Hillary Clinton. Crucially, these sources tell us that Cohen is willing to make that assertion to the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Cohen alleges as well that he was present, along with several others, when Trump was informed of the Russians' offer. He was informed by Donald Trump Jr., about that offer. By Cohen's account, Trump approved going ahead with that meeting with the Russians. Now, we should note that our sources said Cohen does not have evidence such as audio recordings to corroborate his claim. A source familiar with Cohen's House testimony said he did not testify that Trump had advanced knowledge. Cohen's claims were not mentioned as well in separate reports issued by both Republicans and Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee. Now, going back through that transcript, the question before Congress for Cohen is going to be, did they even ask him about it? So now there's a different state of play. Let's bring in Carl here. Timing. Why now? Uh, because Michael Cohen is going around saying that he has information uh, that shows that the president had foreknowledge of this event, uh, as well as foreknowledge of other things that Cohen now is aware of. And we know that Cohen is, quote, flipping uh, attempting to flip on the president of the United States. Uh, he's also shopping for a get-out-of-jail card. Uh, if this information is true and accurate, and if it can be uh, nailed down in testimony by others, it's very, very significant because the president has denied any foreknowledge uh, of this event, and this meeting goes to the question of intent to collude because, indeed, his son in that meeting made him uh, said to in a communication that he was willing to get information. I love it, he said, from the Russians at this meeting. All right. So before we get into the implications too deeply, let's get into the balancing part of this. Jimmy, what are you hearing from the president's side on this? OK, so we reached out to a number of people, of course. Alan Fudafasi, of course, the attorney for Donald Trump Jr., he tells CNN the following, and I'm quoting, Donald Trump Jr. has been professional and responsible throughout the Mueller and congressional investigations. We are very confident of the accuracy and reliability of the information that has been provided by Mr. Trump Jr. and on his behalf. I should say that contacted by CNN, one of Cohen's attorneys, that is Lanny Davis, he declined to comment. Did you hear that? We are confident in the accuracy. No, not a total denial. Oh, no, absolutely not. He's lying. That's not true. We're confident in the accuracy of the testimony. Th that is lawyer speak. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth before the House Select Committee on Intelligence. That's what they'd say. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, no, we're confident in the accuracy of what he said. Mm -hmm. But let's 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 go back in time a little bit here. 
Brittany. Okay. Let's let's talk. Let's play Donald to, Trump to a time before we're having to battle over who we trust most yeah, out no of kidding. all these people. All these scumbags. Yeah. Every one of these people is. Like, <laughs> listen, don't think that that Brittany and I, and I know I can speak to, about for Brittany on this because we've talked about it. Um, don't think that Brittany and I are like we're we're raw raw for Michael Cohen. Yeah. Michael Cohen's a fucking scumbag. I mean. Views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Maybe I don't speak for you for everything. I, I'm not a fan of Michael Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of respect for him as a man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a, a mite different. So anyway, last year, Donald Trump did a, a, an interview with the New York Times in which he talked about this particular meeting and denied prior knowledge of it. I didn't look at it very closely, to be honest with you. Okay. I just heard there was an email uh, requesting a meeting or something, yeah, requesting a meeting uh, that they have information on Hillary Clinton. And I said, I mean, that's standard political stuff. Did you know at the time that they had the email? No, I didn't know anything about the meeting. But you know, you gave this. Must have been a very important. A ver- must have been a very unimportant meeting because I never even heard about it. No one told you a word, nothing. Nobody I think we talked about this in plain a little bit, but nobody. No, nobody okay. told me. I didn't know anything. You know, it's a very unimportant. Sounded like a very unimportant meeting. That's Donald Trump. Then oh, I didn't know anything about it. it. Sounded super unimportant to me. And then he wants to keep talking and talking. I, that's kind of a sign of a lie. <laughs> when there's an over explanation. When is Donald Trump telling the truth? Mm, that's a tough one. How often does that happen? Not often. Either he's not um, answering questions or he's lying. Those are typically what's happening. We'll get to the not answering questions a little later. Okay, perfect. So here's Donald Trump Jr. talking about what his dad did and didn't know. Did you tell your father anything about this? No. It was such a nothing. There was nothing to tell. Oh. I mean, I wouldn't have even remembered it until you start scouring through the stuff. It was, it was literally just a wasted 20 minutes, which was a shame. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. I wouldn't have even remembered. Russians contact me all the time you offering me things. <laughs> I get them confused. They're constantly emailing me and wanting things from me. What a sickening liar. <laughs> so here is Rudy Giuliani and his take talking to Chris Cuomo about Michael Cohen. Oddly enough, they're not big Michael Cohen fans anymore over there in the Trump camp. We have former New York City mayor, current counsel to the president, Rudy Giuliani, here with us tonight. Hey, Chris. Good to Thank see you. you, sir. Appreciate you taking the opportunity. What is your response to the headline? You did not look very impressed in the green room. <laughs> no, no. I expected something like this from Cohen. He's been lying all week. I mean, or, or for two... He's been lying for years. I mean... Uh, oh, he's been... He's been lying for years. Who who has he been lying for for years? Ooh. Yeah, what a, what that's a query. It's quite the question. Wait a minute. You are admitting he's a really good liar. He's been doing it for a long time. Who did he work for? Why did Donald Trump hire such an awesome oh, lying right. lawyer? It was Donald Trump. He worked for Donald Trump. He was the personal lawyer and quote unquote fixer. For Donald Trump for decades. Do you know how we were talking on the last episode about why does Carter Page go on TV and do interviews? Yeah. The same could be asked of Rudy Giuliani. Why is he going on TV and doing interviews? 
because he's asked. I think that's the answer. The, t- the tapes that we have demonstrate any number of very serious lies by him back a year and a half ago, including his fooling people, hiding tape recordings, telling they weren't recorded, lying to their face, breaking faith with them, taping his client, which is a disbarable offense. I don't see how he has any credibility. I mean, this is basically if you had a trial, and there won't be a trial here, but if you had a trial, you'd say, well, which lie do you want to pick? You want to pick the first lie, the second lie, or maybe some new lie? There's nobody that I know that knows him that hasn't warned me that if he's back is up against the wall, he'll, he'll lie like crazy because he's lied all his life. All right. So the flip on it is this. To do that to me, to tell me a lie, that's the media, you know, what's the record best? To go to Bob Mueller and say he knew I was in the meeting, he heard his son, puts his son in the mix here also, the son told him he supported it. He says, according to our reporting, there were other people in the room. So this is something that Bob Mueller should be able to figure out, right? Well, the question isn't what happened in the room. The question is, what did the president know, as you said, and, and Bernstein said, what did he know and when did he know it? So it would have to be people in the room with the president right. that can corroborate uh, Cohen, which it won't be because it didn't happen. And uh, then it becomes a credibility contest between two or three witnesses who say one thing and Cohen, who says another. Assuming they say different things. I'm pretty comfortable about that. I'm not, I haven't had a chance to go back and, and look at all of it, but I remember it pretty well. There's no doubt. I, there's no doubt in my mind that he's just not credible. He's comfortable with it now until it comes out that, yeah, they all fucking knew and multiple people knew. Because, listen, I got to get a new chair. This thing's too loud. Don't listen to my chair. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say. <laughs> is, is there's only a few options here. Either Michael Cohen is willing to perjure himself and lie to Robert Mueller, the special counselor in the Department of Justice who is, who is orchestrating this or conducting this investigation, which is a felony and carries with it its own prison sentence. Or he is privy to information and he's outing people to assist that investigation. Or... Mueller already fucking knows the truth, which I think is more likely. And 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 Michael Cohen knows Robert Mueller knows the truth. Yeah, they probably have questioned him. I mean, he's already probably a cooperating witness. Um, but I don't know for the Mueller probe, but for the other. And if you think that the 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 Southern District of New York, which is running the investigation, his lawsuit aren't communicating with the Mueller probe, eh, you know, I think that's naive. Um, and they ask him, hey, listen. What's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? Mueller's going to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cohen's going to know mm-hmm. what Mueller knows. Mm-hmm. Just based on the questions that are asked. So, although I do believe that these are all slime balls, scumbags, criminals, wily types, if you will, when you pinch a guy... He's going to protect himself and his family, and that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's lying because he's put it, he, would be, he would be putting himself in more risk, not less risk. Well, and given the taping, I mean, unless this was just a regular part of what Michael Cohen did, given the nature of his clientele, I guess, um, he was planning something. I mean, he started recording Donald Trump. Yeah. And you don't just start doing that unless there's motivation to start doing that. Well, unless I, you're hedging your bets or you're... That's what I think it is. 
Yeah. I, I think that it's just him covering his ass because these are all unsavory characters. Hmm. They're all shitbags. So you think it was probably something he did with many of his Yeah, clients. yeah. Okay. Just as a cover his ass kind of an element because he's dealing with loathsome, no integrity, guys who don't pay their bills to contractor, hardworking contractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's dealing with Donald Trump. You mm-hmm. got to cover yourself because he's going to turn on you just like he turns on everybody else. Yeah, it's weird to be a criminal. Um, Is it? <laughs> it's something that I've never really understood. It just seems really stressful. Right. Um, you know, having to be around all these people that you can't trust and you can't rely on and you're always having to like pretend like you give a shit about them when really you're just protecting yourself at all costs. I don't know. It just seems it doesn't seem fun. Light treason. <laughs> Light treason. It doesn't seem fun, everybody. So the other big news today, I was going to go over the, the, the testimony of, of uh, the Secretary of State. Um, Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo. Which was really not. fun. It was awesome. And I thought I've got it was a great, a great hearing. Maybe we'll do that next time. Well, the Peter Strzok hearing got so much attention. And I feel like the Mike Pompeo um, hearing was covered much less. And I wonder if it's because it wasn't as um, like partisan. people Because it was the Senate. People on both sides were asking Mike Pompeo really great questions. Yeah, sure. And interrogating him. So I, I, maybe that's why, because it yeah. wasn't as much of a show of Democrats versus Republicans. But it was great. So maybe we'll maybe we'll do that next time. I don't think it'll be too too late because it does give kind of a look into the spirit of this White House, the spirit of this administration. But the big news today was that Caitlin Collins, who's a who's a reporter for CNN. One of my favorites. Got banned from attending an open White House event because she asked questions that the White House didn't like. And in response to this, all kinds of media outlets, Fox News and otherwise, have come out in support of Caitlin Collins. Let's listen to Shep Smith break it down what exactly happened and give some commentary along the way as Shep is wont to do. The White House today calling for civility after stopping a credentialed correspondent from attending an open press event with President Trump. The press secretary, Sarah Sanders, says the reporter shouted questions and refused to leave despite repeatedly being asked. Here's what happened. Did Michael Cohen betray you, Mr. President? Thank you, everybody. Mr. President. Mr. President, are you worried about what Michael Cohen is going to say to prosecutors? Thank you, Caleb. Let's keep going. Are you worried about what is on the other tapes, Mr. President? Thank you all. Keep going. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Why has Vladimir Putin not accepted your invitation? Keep going. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Let's go. Come on, guys. Thank you very much. We're done. We're done. Let's go. Let's Why go is Vladimir Putin not accepting your invitation, Mr. President? That's right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. The reporter you heard was Caitlin Collins, White House reporter for CNN. She was the pool reporter at the time, meaning on that day in that setting, she represented all of the television networks, including this one. A few hours later, she said White House officials told her the questions were inappropriate and that she was not allowed to attend the president's joint news conference coming up with the European Commission president in the Rose Garden. 
The president of this network, Jay Wallace, put out a statement in support of Collins and journalism, quoting, we stand in strong solidarity with CNN for the right to full access for our journalists as part of a free and unfettered press. The president of the White House Correspondents Association also entered, issued a statement. It reads in part, we strongly condemn the White House's misguided and inappropriate decision today to bar one of our members from an open press event after she asked questions they did not like. This type of retaliation is wholly inappropriate, wrong-headed, and weak. It cannot stand. This morning, reporters tried to get a response from Bill Shine. He's the White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications. Bill Shine, full disclosure, is my personal friend. He was a producer, then executive, then senior executive at this network, and in that capacity, he was my boss. Shine took issue with people saying the White House banned Collins. Could you ask her if we ever used the word banned? What I've did, seen it on lower thirds. What, what did, word what did would you, you use, Bill? Uh, what word would you use? When you ask her if we ever used the word banned, then I will answer that question. You prohibited her? What's the word you would you use? You ask her, focus now, you ask her if we ever used the word banned. Focusing, this is a difference without a distinction. Collins reports Shine and the press secretary Sarah Sanders disinvited her from a Rose Garden event. Kellyanne Conway, counselor to the president, whom we don't often quote here, said the whole thing shows the media needs to change its approach. That incident aside, I'm just speaking more broadly, um, the civility that you all call for sometimes when, when you're in your broadcast, I think it should start here at the White House and just show a little bit more respect. Civility. CNN maintains the Correspondents Association agrees and we at Fox News observed that Collins was civil, that she asked relevant and timely questions of a president who often answers questions under identical circumstances and in the same setting. One of our journalists might have done exactly the same. For perspective, just a couple of days ago, President Trump said this to a group of veterans about the news media. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. During that same speech, the president told the crowd in attendance, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. Of course, President Trump has been calling members of the media fake and dishonest since he announced he was running for, pre for office. And in the past few months, the president has adopted a new phrase. They interviewed 10 women on one of the uh, opposing networks, you know, the enemy, the enemy of the people, I call them. The enemies of the people. For those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, you'll know that both Brittany and I are fond of Shepard Smith. He did everything right there. And it is for reasons like what you just witnessed or listened that we do love him. Yeah, well, starting with the um, presenting exactly what it was that Caitlin Collins asked and exactly her tone when she was asking it, because they said it was, number one, inappropriate, and number two, that she was shouting. Yeah. Okay, so they were trying to make it seem like she was being aggressive and yelling and asking inappropriate things. 
Um, no, she you could hear her distinctly um, in that audio, but she wasn't yelling. Not she wasn't all. louder than the yeah. other people. And you, you hear the thank yous over and over again. Thank you. OK, it's because they're trying to get everyone out, but they're trying to ask questions still. That's their job, which oftentimes when there's a pause in the action. Donald Trump will answer the questions that are shouted to him right. from behind the couch there in the Oval Office. Right. Here's Caitlin Collins talking to Wolf Blitzer, explaining in her own words what her perspective is on what took place. So to walk you through exactly what was going on, I was representing the rest of the television networks during this uh, spray, which is what we refer to it here at the White House, in the Oval Office. We were brought in to, for the top of the meeting between the president and the president of the European Commission. Both men delivered remarks, and then I and several other reporters started asking President Trump questions. This is a normal occurrence, and it is often our only chance to ask President Trump questions that day, and he often responds to us, Wolf. So to give you a sense of the questions that the White House did not like that we post to President Trump, here they are. So you've already listened to the questions. Here's her continuing her explanation. The questions I asked, in case you couldn't hear them, was that the president was upset and felt that Michael Cohen, his former attorney, had betrayed him by allowing the release of that audio recording. We also asked if he was worried about what Michael Cohen would say to prosecutors. As you know, the president was tweeting about that recording with Michael Cohen just this morning on his Twitter account. And then I also asked the president if he, uh, why Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, had not accepted his invitation to the White House yet. That was before the White House announced that they were going to postpone that meeting until next year. Now, Wolf, after that event was over, the president did not answer questions. He said, thank you. We left the Oval Office. And then later, I was called into the office of Bill Shine, the president's latest hire, who is his right-hand man for communications. It was him and the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, who told me that I would not be invited to an open press event here in the Rose Garden moments later at the White House because they thought the questions that I posed to President Trump were inappropriate and inappropriate for that venue. I told them that is often our only chance to ask the president questions. Those questions were questions any reporter would have asked, and I was there to represent all of the networks and therefore ask about the questions of the day along with the other reporters and my colleagues in that room. Because of that, the White House blocked me from going to an open press event here at the White House that all reporters are allowed to go because they did not like the questions that I asked President Trump about the news of the day. Again, those questions mean, are you worried Cohen's going to talk to Robert Mueller? Are you worried about the tapes? And why did Vladimir Putin turn down your invitation? Valid questions. Mm -hmm. It would be concerning if reporters were not asking those questions. Right. So back in the Shepard Smith clip, he played a little bit of a Kellyanne Conway exchange with reporters outside the West Wing there. Talking about civility. Yeah, and here's that, here's the a fuller, we like to play longer clips on this show to give a fuller context, I don't like 15-second hit-it-and-quit-it clips because you don't know what, what the full context was. Here is that full context. Kellyanne, is there a recognition that the White House went too far banning a reporter from a public event here for reporters? Well, as somebody who tries to be very kind to the media, much kinder than you are to me, I would I that, that was not that, unkind. That was a fair question. No, hold on. No, no, I'm, I'm just making a point that the latest polls show that about 92% of your coverage is negative, and I think that you're often ignoring your own polling where people are telling you in the NBC poll, Bloomberg poll, 
a Fox poll, CNN poll, everybody's polls, what's important to them, and it doesn't match the coverage. I think that the question isn't, are, are the press allowed to ask questions? This president obviously isn't afraid of questions. We, we answer them routinely. It's, um, I think, being, and that incident aside, just being polite to the process, to the presidency, to the protocol, and not shouting questions long after the press has politely been asked to leave, long after you've had an opportunity to be there with the president. I think it's a very reasonable request. And that incident aside, I'm just speaking more broadly, um, the civility that you all call for sometimes when, when you're in your broadcast, I think it should start here at the White House and just show a little bit more respect. We answer questions all day long. Um, the press and comms department certainly do. The president, as many of you tell us privately, is one of the most successful, transparent, and available presidents that you've ever covered. And we'll continue to do that. But I think it's the shouting and the pouting long after the press corps has been politely asked to leave the room. Do you notice the tactic here, everybody? It's this. I I just really think that you know, it's, it would be a really good thing if you guys were more polite. And I'm going to talk in a really soft, quiet, oh, very demure, feminine voice. So it seems like I'm super polite. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. If you tell me, <laughs> hey, Jesse, why don't you go get bent, you motherfucker, and go fuck yourself, okay? Mm-hmm. Just because you said it sweetly, just because you said it in a soft Delicate tone doesn't mean what you said wasn't rude, doesn't mean what you said was civil. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's doing here. I'm going to talk about civility, and I'm s- such an expert on it. No. You're helping to destroy America while talking softly. Fuck you. Terrible. Reprehensible. The only job in America that is protected by the Constitution of the United States is journalism. It's the only one. It's got a constitutional guarantee. And this administration, with Donald Trump at the helm, doesn't give a shit about that. And by extension, and not even by extension, doesn't give a shit about the Constitution. Doesn't care about the First Amendment. That is a problem. And this is a shot across the bow. This is an intimidation tactic by this administration to try to silence journalism. It's, oh shit, I might not be here tomorrow. I'm not going to have a job if I can't cover the White House. And I'm not going to be able to cover the White House if I ask the wrong questions. That is what they're trying to do here. Well, and the lines are being drawn of reactions from people in the press, and that shows you who you can and cannot trust. So Bill O'Reilly, for example, even though he's no longer on TV and or relevant. Has, a we- <laughs> has a website now, yeah, um, he did not side with Caitlin Collins. Of course he did And talked about how her questions were inappropriate. This coming from the guy who, when his sexual harassment um, allegations were investigated by the New York Times, threatened to ruin and bury the reporter that was working on that yeah so that's who is defending the white house exactly consider your source because fox news even brett bear who goes to uh, mar-a-lago yeah hangs out with donald trump who's been photographed with donald trump goes to mar-a-lago he was defending caitlin collins he Uh, he half-assed a little bit he was debating someone named uh 
liberals are not human on Twitter. Oh, Jesus. Which seems like someone that Brett Bearer would have a debate with. That's really a good choice to make. <laughs> that is the guy's name. Liberals are not human. It's at Tony NRA2 underscore A. Mm-hmm. Fucking moron. Mm-hmm. But this is Brett Bear's tweet. And this is why I say he kind of is supportive. He says, because he's giving cover to the rest of his network. He says, when President Obama's administration left us out of round robin interviews, CNN and Jake Tapper spoke out for us as a member of the White House press pool. And then here's where he ducks. On the news side, that that's what is supposed to happen. Yeah, I don't, I'm not reading that like you are, I guess. Um, I, I think he's just clarifying that he's on the news side and that there's an opinion side and that he is defending Caitlin Collins because this is the way that the press should be treated. And he's on the news side, so he understands that. Yeah. And liberals or some human doesn't understand well, that. Well, but he's giving cover to the opinion side that if they take a different opinion and they don't support Caitlin Collins, eh, that's okay because they're not on the news side. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's doing that. Yeah, um, I do. But I, I think that... Even though they're the opinion side, they they shouldn't obviously get cover um, because Sean Hannity likes to play it both ways. He likes to act like he's a journalist. A big journalist, yeah. He likes to act like he's just an opinion guy. We break lots of news over here. And you can't have it both ways, so... Yeah. Choose a side. But he has his access. His access isn't going away because he asks the easy questions that Donald Trump wants him to ask. Well, and that's the other thing. Kelly Conway, is that her name? Kelly Conway. Conway. Yeah. Kellyanne. Um, she she hasn't been around for a long time. Right, I forgot right. her name. Um, she hasn't been around. Now that I'm saying that, she really hasn't. She hasn't been on TV lately, right? Well, even 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 Shep Smith gave a little shade there. For sure. That we Kellyanne Conway, whom we don't quote here very often. Right. Because she's an unreliable source. So other than the various opinion people on networks like Fox News, many, many, many journalists and journalistic outlets have spoken out in support of CNN and specifically Caitlin Collins because they understand that their job is under threat. They understand that the free press is a vitally important aspect of America. And we're going to leave you with this. This is, again, Shep Smith talking about how the press is not the enemy of the people. For those of you at home, if I may, journalists are not the enemies of the people. It's quite the opposite. Our profession is enshrined in the Constitution. And the fourth estate holds the essential job of being your eyes and often ears, and when appropriate, your voice. It's a cornerstone of our republic. Over 22 years at this network, it has been my experience that the journalists of Fox News and Fox Business and those of our colleagues at competitors at CNN and MSNBC, NBC, ABC and CBS, Bloomberg and PBS, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, The New York Times, The Washington Post, all of them operate in the public interest. We work to discern what is truth, then to present it to you in context and with perspective. And as your representatives in the people's halls report to you without fear or favor, while striving to hold those in power to the same standards. This is the foundation of what we do. It's our reason for being, our purpose. Please know this. I acknowledge many thousands of your complaints and protestations, and in doing so, I offer this. Never have I personally misrepresented the truth to you. Our reports are checked, rechecked, and approved at the editorial management level of this network. And in the event I make a mistake, I tell you 
and correct it in a timely and appropriate manner. As an aside, when the president attacks journalists, we question his motivation and try to discover the underlying reason. For historically, those who regularly and as a matter of pattern attack the messenger, who degrade and belittle the purveyors of truth and work to diminish the free press, often find the facts displeasing and endeavor to keep you from knowing them. We are on guard, and we hope, politics aside, for the greater good that you are too. So with that, we're going to leave you. Thank you for another fantastic week helping us move the conversation forward. We'll see you next week, which will be a hashtag third episode week. And if you would like to help support what we do here, both the two-episode weeks and the three-episode weeks, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or go buy something on Amazon if you're so inclined. If you're going to buy it anyway, go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. You can even bookmark that and then use that as your Amazon link. That would be fantastic. Every little bit goes a long way toward helping support the show. If you'd like to contact the show, help us move the conversation forward, 657-464-7609. Of course, always available. Emailing a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next week. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I'm not a fan of Michael Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a lot of respect for him as a man. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.